1: 630 Chad inside sports with Reed Wilkins weekdays at six on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports
2: with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Two NHL games currently in the third period. Penguins lead the Flyers 2 zip. Capitals up 5-3 on the Kings. Sharks and Canucks face off in about an hour. The Oilers will visit Pittsburgh on Wednesday. 4 30 face-off show here on 6 30 Chad. The game will start at 6. Don texting 630-630. He says, Reed, you can't win with only three, maybe four players of NHL caliber. They can't bring in real players because of cap space. Also, goaltending is subpar at best and not consistent. Finally, Hitch has been a good coach, but I don't think he's the one to handle the young players. He seems to grate on them. That's from Don. Another texter says, Hey, Reed, the Oilers have lost their mojo. Didn't happen overnight. It's been years of mismanagement, poor decision-making, awful trades. We now see the results The only blessing is that we currently have the best player on the planet on our team. Shirelli has put us back five years. It stings all of us faithfuls. And Frustrated Fan texting in, he says, The team doesn't have heart. I don't think it's the GM's fault or the coach's that is on the players. Text to 630-630 from Frustrated Fan. Okay, well, big week for the Oilers. Uh, As I said, their playoff hopes are very, very slim. They will likely be eight points out of the playoffs by the time we get to the game on Wednesday. So, like I said, with 27 games left, you're probably going to have to win at least 17 at least 17 to have a shot at the playoffs and probably more. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Hey, this is great. I am pleased to welcome to the show a guy who's going to be inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame later this year. Had a great big league career, 16 seasons on the mound. It is Ryan Dempster. Ryan, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Hey, Reed. How are you, man? I'm doing great. This is really cool to have you on the show. First of all, congratulations on uh, the upcoming induction into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. I doubt when you were a young kid playing sports in in, in in Gibsons, B.C. I think I got your right hometown. I don't know if you thought you were going to wind up in the Canadian Baseball Hall, so that's got to sound pretty cool.
0: No, you're 100% right there. I think, you know, you, you have these aspirations as a... A young kid to play major league baseball, and uh, um, you know, I always wanted to make a career of it, and and was able to do that. But and then to sit there, you know, after it's all said and done, and be like, wow, you know, like that was pretty cool. I got to do some fun things and playing some all star games and win a World Series on my way out the door, and all those exciting things. But then to get a phone call and say that you're inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame is really special. And you see the the list of guys that are on there, the people that are on there that you're joining, and then the current class that I'm going in with, you know, Gord Ash and Rob Thompson, who um, who I both know, and then Jason Bay, who I competed against forever and, um, you know, always admired him from across the field. And um, our, our, our careers kind of mirrored each other as far as timeline. So um, a really, really especially humbling thing, and I'm just ex- extremely uh, honored to be going in. It's going to be a, a fun day in, in uh, June and a fun weekend.
2: Hey, well, you know, I got to have Gord Ash on the show on Friday and yeah, he's quite a story. From working in a bank and then going into the ticket department to becoming GM of the Blue Jays, so yeah, really cool class you're going in with. Tell me a little bit about life uh growing up in Gibsons, BC. Like, were you a kid that played a lot of sports and then you kind of picked baseball as you got older, or was it always baseball for you? What was that like, Ryan?
0: Yeah,
2: I always loved baseball.
0: I, you know, I, my mom has my baby book where it says what I want to be when I grow up and. Four years old i wanted to be a major league baseball player but um at the same time i pl- i played a lot of sports um i didn't play a ton of hockey just because of situations a couple brothers and my mom kind of gave us an ultimatum one year it was like hey you guys can play hockey and nothing else because this is a lot of work or you can play everything else so we chose everything else and we played i played football and then i played basketball and a ton of soccer and basketball as well as baseball and um you know was it wasn't a year-round thing which i'm a huge advocate for i think kids should play all kinds of sports and and get their hands in everything and i think that's the most important thing but um always loved it and then i started going over to the city and, and commuting by ferry and uh playing in the uh, west vancouver and then next thing you know i hooked on with a, the north shore twins and uh ran into a great coach and dave empey and paul Jamino and um was really really fortunate to be around them and um, helped guide me through, uh, you know, my, my years in high school and uh, flourishing to, um, you know, getting drafted and then going to the minor leagues and, and going through all that. So it was, it was a pretty interesting journey, to say the least, and, and it all worked out really well, and uh, I got to live out a, a childhood, boy, you know, a boy's dream um, come come to fruition. It was
2: pretty cool. Well, that's awesome that you wrote as a four-year-old, you wanted to pitch in the major leagues and, and you got to do it. <laughs> My, Mike Johnson is from Edmonton. You guys aren't that far off in age and I've had him on the show for uh, a few times over the years here. And of course he pitched in the big leagues as well. And I asked him about getting noticed in Edmonton. I mean, that's a long way from a lot of major league cities. And I know, you know, in the Vancouver area there, you're a little closer to the States and there's more population, so I'm curious about you getting noticed and maybe when that first thought entered your mind, where it was like, oh, wait a minute, this I'm getting looked at by big league scouts. Like I might be able to do what four-year-old Ryan wanted to do.
0: Yeah, well, in the same kind of way, like getting noticed coming from Gibson's was was hard to do just for the sense of, you know, it's a 40-minute ferry ride for people who don't know where it's at. It's, uh, it's on your way up to Whistler. You, you're stopping Horseshoe Bay and, up on a ferry and uh it's still mainland but there's no roads that go over there and um so i had to start going to the city and then uh, when you're playing in you know in vancouver you start to get noticed a little bit and um i remember don cherry he was the uh um sorry not don cherry don sherry <laughs> as an sh he was a bird dog for the texas rangers and uh he kind of just you know i still remember i still have his card he gave it to me you know and um, who I eventually end up getting drafted by, ironically. But um, And then, you know, kind of get noticed that way, and then I got to play for Team Canada Junior Team a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, you know, you go to pitch a game in high school, my senior high school, and I got 30 scouts in the stands. So, oh, jeez. Um, yeah, it was, I, still, I was telling the story the other day. I still remember my Uncle Russ standing amongst all the radar guns with a hairdryer pretending he was one of the scouts. So, um <laughs> You know it was, it was pretty entertaining but yeah to get noticed was it uh, was a big thrill and then all of a sudden it just you know it, it just kind of came really fast but at the time going through it all I was so you know determined to be a baseball player and go through all that I didn't even really notice it was just I was in the process of it all and just going through that enjoying that moment and and just taking it all in as it
2: went along. Yeah, Ryan Dempster joining us on Inside Sports, 16 years in the big leagues as a pitcher, going into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame this summer. I'm going to go back to the baseball questions, but I got a really uh, funny text here to 630-630. Reed, can you ask Ryan if he ever got a ride in Relic's jet boat in Gibson's? I assume you remember the beachcombers <laughs> <No>. in Relic.
0: <laughs> I, I didn't, but I did play a round of golf with Bruno Jerusi. That's, that's incredible, and that's kind of a gun. Was like he was cheating on hole number one? It was like, what? You got a foot wedge in your bag? How's that possible? So no, it was a, uh, it was a treat growing up in in Gibson's, where where obviously the beachcombers was filmed. So uh, that was our claim to fame. That and the movie Needful Things by Stephen King was filmed there as well.
2: Well, maybe you're added to that list now as another claim to fame. I hope, I- <laughs> Ryan Dev? Debsters- oh no, my my.
0: My father is a fire chief, my brothers are firefighters, I'm the black sheep of the family.
2: Oh geez. okay, you're you're the freakish athlete. I get you. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, I mean you 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 know what what Canada is like. You you heard me reading the uh Text from Oilers fans coming back, and I'm sure you're you're aware the team's not doing so well. So I talk a lot about that, obviously. Um, so I don't I don't get to talk as as a lot as much baseball up up here in Edmonton. So it's great to have you on the show. So I got to ask you something that people always say about baseball players and and baseball players when they're scouted. I want to find out if it's true. the The word is that if a pitcher can throw hard the scouts will look at them because they can teach control. Like, even if you're throwing it over the backstop, if you're throwing 105, they'll take a look at you because they feel like they can teach control. But if you throw 80, they don't think they can get you up into the 90s. True or false?
0: True. Okay. Very true. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Like, I'll have parents, you know, like their kid will be 6'15", 16, and they'll be like, my kid's got a really good curveball, and I'll be like, scouts don't care. <laughs> they want kids throwing hard. You teach your kid to throw hard. And the easiest way to do that, you know, is to have some velocity, play catch, you know, build that arm strength up, play some long toss. But you're right. They, they feel like they can teach them command and control and that the ability to throw hard is something that is hard to find. So they'll, uh, they'll, they'll go out into the middle of the woods to find somebody if they can throw hard and and try and figure out how to teach him over, throw it over a, a, a plate, you know, 60 feet, 6 inches away.
2: Okay, so now when I say that to people, I can say a former big league pitcher told me, so it must be true. <laughs> it's not, so yeah, just exactly, exactly, absolutely. You know, you, you got to uh, you got to have obviously some great experiences. You played uh, Florida-Cincinnati. Uh, we're going to have to do this again, Ryan, because I'm already running out of time and getting short on all the things I want to ask you. But what was it like to be a Chicago Cub?
0: Yeah, it was incredible. Um, my first major league start was a member of the Florida Marlins at Wrigley Field, running out the center field to do my stretching, and the, the bleachers were raining down on me. I was finding out all kinds of things about my mom I didn't know about that she did when I was in high school. Like, you know, They were yelling at me like crazy, and I was like, you know, i got to play here. I need to know what it's like to put a home jersey on. And when you wear those blue pinstripes and you put that Cubs logo on, it's, uh, it's really, really special. It was, I was so fortunate to be able to do it for nine years and, um, and to be back working for the team now in the front office role. And the way the fans treat me there, I'm extremely grateful and lucky. And um, it, it really is a blessing to go. That was my office for nine years and, and walk out there and see that ivy on the wall in the summertime, a, a special, special place to call my home ballpark.
2: Uh, I mean they, they finally won the World Series obviously after you retired and I, and I do want to get to your World Series victory as well because that's pretty cool um but like when you were pitching for the Cubs and they had some pretty good teams while you were there like was it angst was it just joy that maybe they would have a chance that year like what, what was that vibe like in 2016, 2016- is that what you're talking about? No, sorry. Like when you were playing, and and there were some good teams that you were on, because like, I think you went to the postseason a couple times with the Cubs, but they just couldn't quite do it. Like, was it was it negative energy because they still couldn't break the curse, or was it? Well, we're just happy to be on the play in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, there. No, there was always the feeling of waiting for the you know the other shoe to drop, and it was like, you know, something bad's gonna happen, something bad's gonna happen. Instead of believing something good's going to happen and you as players feel that you feel that energy when you're out there and um it felt like after you know 2015 when the cubs when when we beat the cardinals to advance all of a sudden cubs fans started to believe that wait a second good things will happen and they started now coming into 2016 they really started to believe that and believe that and And then all of a sudden, you know, even to the point where I remember being in Section 144 during the World Series Game 7 in Cleveland, and Rajay Davis hits that home run. And I just turned to everybody, and I said, it's going to be all right. We're going to be just fine. And, you know, the rain delay happened, and then they were just fine. And the boys went out there and did their thing and scored some runs and then held it in the bottom of the 10th inning. So, um, you know, it does. It comes from a belief, But that's years and years of them being let down, disappointed, feeling like they are cursed because when you go 108 years without winning something, you start to feel like you're never, never going to win. And, uh, you know, it was nice to see it finally happen for, for so many people, but most importantly for those guys who, who did that for the city of Chicago. It was really special.
2: Yeah, that 108 years, that was a bit of a gap, eh?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it was, uh, you know, people would always, like, ask me, what's that like it, when I was playing? And I was like, well, you know, it felt like a long time since the last time we won. Like, how the heck am I supposed to know? Yeah. I, I've been alive since 1977. Like, for me, it felt like about you know around 30 years when I was playing there. So, um, you know, it is it is you understand it and you understand why the frustration and. Um, but now there's a great expectation of winning there, which is really awesome, and and the culture's changed and you have this team that now now they're disappointed when they win 95 games because you don't you know win the World Series. And that's the way it should be and that's super awesome to see it like that's really
2: cool ryan dempster joining us tonight on inside sports you you pitched for the boston red sox in 2013 pretty impressive you, you put in 171 innings in the regular season at 36 years of age so uh you, you did great for them and obviously you got to be on their world series winning roster so i mean you got to play home games at wrigley then you got to play home games at, at fenway and uh and win a world series and i mean the red Sox. i think you'd have to call them this this century since we flipped to the 2000s they've been the the premier franchise well and the giants red Sox, and giants the premier franchises tell us a little bit about being in boston and winning there
0: yeah it was you know it was a uh an incredible season it really was super special um it started uh a great spring training with a bunch of guys who weren't supposed to win they were coming off of a a bad year in 2012 and um and then on on april 15th the bombing happened at the at the marathon and kind of kind of shook the whole city it shook shook us up as a team um and then it all of a sudden unified us and we had an opportunity uh, we were gifted this great you know kind of opportunity through through tragedy to provide relief and and triumph for uh the team and it was really really special and to see an entire city rally around that and then all of a sudden we just we knew it we talked about it we talked about you know what kind of duck color duck boat you were going to be riding in the parade in, in like june we had this incredible attitude of nothing's going to stop us and i think that's because of you know what the city went through and everybody rallying around us and then you know to win that to, to my last batter i ever faced in the major leagues to be a strikeout to end game one of the world series and my one of my best friends david ross to shake his hand and and know that was my last moment um, is really special. And I played there one season. It felt like I played there ten. I'm still close with so many of those guys. We keep in touch all the time. And uh, it really was just an incredible way to end my career and a special special moment that I'll never forget about. And then cap it all off to go back there um, the following April and take my son out there and and uh, receive my ring from the owners and, and and go out there on the field with him. It was truly magical and. So lucky to be able to play in two storied franchises and, and go out there and and, and do that was pretty cool.
2: Ryan, I have one more for you. Thanks for being so generous with your time. If people listen to this show on any sort of a regular basis, they know I often ask this of retired players. It's, it's kind of a two-parter. Who was the best player you ever played with and who was the best player you ever played against?
0: Wow. Um, The best player that I ever played with is probably, I would have to say, maybe Derek Lee. Oh, interesting. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, I played with Ken Griffey Jr., but I played with him towards, you know, his declining years in his career. I mean, if you just look at who the best, him, I mean, in the totality of his career, for sure. But watching D. Lee in his prime, the way he played first base, you know um, the way he could hit for power, hit for average. Um, he was he was pretty incredible. You know playing with Sammy Sosa, uh, you know he was pretty special too. But you know just all around defense, base running, um, and, and hitting, and, and then the kind of teammate he was, Derek Lee was pretty incredible. Um, when I when I think about the best uh, player I ever played against, I'd have to say Barry Bonds. He was he was unbelievable. It was it was a presence to watch him go up to the plate and, and do what he did. And, you know, I know there's a ton of stuff and, and things tied to to him, but, um, you know, he was, the, he was the hardest out you were ever going to face. And, and guys will say the same thing about facing him in 1992 as they would in 2002. So, um, you know, I truly believe he was a hall of famer before all that stuff got involved, all the steroid stuff. And, um, and hopefully one day he's in the hall of fame, but, um, you know he he was he was pretty incredible to to face i'll tell a quick story i was i was facing him um uh, in, in san francisco and uh, at, at at&t park and i think it's changed now but anyways i was getting ready to go start the game and kevin millar grabbed me on the way out to the dugout or oh, the way out of the dugout he says, you got to find out what you got when you face barry bonds you better throw it right down the middle and find out who's better so I go out and I get the first two guys out. And here comes Barry, and he's barely done up his elbow, elbow guard because nobody's pitching to him. And I throw a 14 fastball, 94 miles an hour, right down the middle. And all of a sudden, you just see him kind of look out at me, and he goes, oh, you're going to pitch to me. Oh, okay, cool. And he straps his elbow guard on a little bit tighter, and he tightens it up, and then I throw the next one, 95, right down the middle. And he fouls it straight back. Like, you know, some people just miss hitting, like, the ground ball to short or just miss popping it up he just missed hitting it into the cove and then now all of a sudden I'm 0-2 and I just fire back and throw a four-seamer right down the middle again and here we go and he cranked it and he hits it into the top corner of the brick wall in right center field for a triple and I'm like okay and I get out of the inning and I come in the dugout and Millar grabs me he goes well you just found out he's way better than you are so it it was pretty funny yeah it was pretty special
2: Oh, that's a cool story. Ryan, we're, we're going to have to do this again. If, if, if you ever got time for us uh, here on 630 Chet in Edmonton, again, we'd love to have you. Again, congratulations on a great career playing, and I know now you're broadcasting and doing some other stuff, and congratulations on going into the Canadian Baseball Hall of, Fam- Hall of Fame. I hope it's an awesome day.
0: Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate it. And absolutely, we'll make this happen
2: again another time. Good stuff. That is Ryan Dempster checking in tonight. Wow, what a story about uh, pitching to Barry Bonds, pitching at Wrigley, pitching at Fenway, winning the World Series with the Red Sox. And as he said, from Gibson's BC, where they filmed the beachcombers, somebody wanted to know if he'd ever ridden in Relic's boat. He said he had not, but he golfed with Bruno Gerusi. And he said Gerusi cheated. Can you believe it? What was his name on the show? Nick. I think it was Nick. Nick Adonis. Does that sound right? Well, we'll have. I'm pretty sure it was Nick. I can't remember the last name. We'll have some beachcombers trivia. <laughs> trivia buff, who will uh, text in? Okay, we're late into the break. Uh, we'll do the 7:30 news, and we'll. Come back with Kelly Rudy having some fun tonight on Inside Sports on 630 Chet.
1: Or listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader. 630 Chad.
2: Capitals have beaten the Kings 6-4. Penguins lead the Flyers 3-1 late in the third. Oilers at Pittsburgh on Wednesday night. Len Rhodes leaving the Eskimos. He's done as president and CEO on February 20th. The Eskimos have re-signed Colin Kelly, Ryan King, Forrest Hightower, Calvin McCarty, and Kenny Stafford. It's expected tomorrow morning the BC Lions will announce the signing of quarterback Mike Riley shortly after free agency begins at 10 in the morning. My name is Reed Wilkins. Every week on Inside Sports, we're joined by former NHL goaltender now with the NHL on Rogers Kelly Rudy. Kelly, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Oh, fantastic, Reed. I uh, I'm in Florida, so uh, it's 20. I went for a
1: three-hour walk today. It's 28 degrees here. It's beautiful.
2: Well, a l- <laughs> just just a slight change from what you've been experiencing in Alberta. <laughs> just a little bit of a change.
1: Right? I know, exactly. But uh, I'll be heading back next week, so don't worry. I'll be in the cold like everybody else.
2: Okay, here's going to be my my stupid question of the night. You played uh, for the New York Islanders where they still have winter, right? Yeah. And you played yeah. for San Jose and L.A. Like, yeah. did you ever find it – it must have been hard, Kelly, like it being warm and then playing a hockey game at night, right? Like you just must have been in the you know. totally wrong state of mind.
1: Well, you know what? It does take, I think, a really focused athlete. And I've said this a lot about the, the LA Kings uh, when they won the Stanley Cup those two times that uh, I was really impressed that they had the focus because it's not every athlete that can play a winter sport in a place like Los Angeles. And in particular, not only the weather read, but what I found out with all the other distractions, whether it's the theme parks and uh uh, or, the, or the golf, or whatever, the beaches, What you know, there's so many things out there, and when you play in a beautiful place like L.A. as well, you get all kinds of visitors, and so your downtime oftentimes is being a tour guide, so it really does take a different sort of athlete to play in those kind of places. The one thing that I really loved about it, though, more than anything, is that at the after a game, you didn't have to bundle up and put your big overcoat on and warm your car up after. You know, you basically just walk outside in your uh, suit, and you're good to go. You don't warm up your car or anything. You hop in, and you just drive home in no time.
2: Yeah, well, that's a good point. We've uh, been experiencing that after Oilers Home Games here for here for sure, though I think the players park inside nowadays, Kelly. So. <laughs> At <laughs> <Right>. least <laughs> they're okay. Uh, Hitch is Yeah, Hitch wasn't happy with the players on Saturday. Well, it was uh, pretty hard to be happy with the team. He sort of clarified a couple of things today, but you know, he said after Saturday's game he was irritated, and, and I mean, he basically said that there, there's more for the players to give that they got to play with a little more commitment on home ice, like he thinks they're doing most of the time on the road. Okay, there are two things here that are an interesting discussion. Before we get into the effort level or the perceived effort level, the yeah. home road splits. It's usually the other way around. Um, but the Oilers are way better on the road than they than they have been at home. Can, can you I- explain that? Did you ever play on a team like that that just couldn't get it going in their own barn? What do you, what do you see there?
1: Well, yeah. Uh... I think I would have been my first year in San Jose, but that wasn't because we had any sort of mental block. We just weren't a very good team, uh, and they were building towards that. So uh, other than that, no, I, I can't recall a time when home ice was uh, a disadvantage. Uh, oftentimes, uh, you really take that uh, – that feeling you have and you just will the other team to go away. Oftentimes uh, I know the game's a little bit different now because it's not as rough and you, you can't sort of bully teams out of your building anymore. Uh, but still, I think you can bully a team uh, or intimidate a team with speed and you can do other things uh, in today's game. But I just look at the Edmonton Oilers and the way that they're, uh, they're reeling at home now and uh, to play, Quite well on the road, and that poorly at home tells you something about uh, they're scared to play at home, and uh, and or they've got visitors and they're distracted. But I think more than anything, once things go bad, it goes extremely bad for them. And I don't feel as though they have the the uh, will to fight through it. They just give into it.
2: Well, and that leads me into what I wanted to talk to you about, about what Hitch said, because he referenced determination. He referenced letting players on San Jose just walk off the wall. We saw Chicago get all those goals in the third period, wide open scoring chances. And then yeah. there's the counter to the discussion that I'm seeing with a lot of people today saying, well, let's not forget the roster's not that great, which it isn't. I mean, I've said that I think the Oilers can play a little bit better than what they played. I don't think they can play a lot better because I think there's limitations there. Uh, but I think, I think what Hitch is saying, if I were going to sum it up, is I, th- I think he's saying that is that there are a t- intelligent and responsible plays that players can make regardless of their ability. And I think he feels those weren't made on Saturday night. That's how I would sum it up. So you might have a shortcoming or a limitation as a player but even overmatched players can still do some things to try to impede the opposition. That's how I would sum it up.
1: Oh, I would totally agree. And then when so you go back to when he first was hired and they were playing uh, smarter hockey, they are on the right side of the puck most often, and uh, there's more attention to detail, if you will. And you're not seeing that now. People are uh, making selfish plays. They're not getting pucks as deep. They're not fighting as hard. They're making... Uh, defensive errors that they should know better and that to include guys like Seidel and, and others that, you know, you, you've got to really make sure if you're a leader on that team that you're doing everything right uh, and sending the right message. And you know where that starts, Reed? That starts in practice. And you've got to make sure that you put in the effort and you put in the video work. You do all the little things to make sure that uh, you're getting the best out of yourself, and don't worry so much about the team. Don't worry so much about where you're where you are in the standings right now. Just make sure that every little detail in your game is sharp.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports as he does every week. Th- there's there's something between the years too when it's 11 out of 13 at home and five losses in a row. In four of those, they've trailed three nothing before they scored, and Cassie and even referenced today that you can kind of hear it in the building when they give up the first goal, where you know there's that there's that vibe in the building where it's like, oh, where's this going to go?
1: Yeah, it's amazing how that affects players, and and for that, I have been a part of that where uh, all of a sudden uh, a, a thought enters your brain. And you should know better, and you've worked through it as an athlete many, many times. And yet, unfortunately, sometimes when it enters the in- entire group uh, mentality, it, it's really weird. And it's it's amazing how you should be able to fight through it, not worry that you've gone down one goal early and uh, you can hear the crowd, but it does affect you. I, I recall my last year in the NHL, and Daryl Sutter was our coach, and Mike Vernon. Uh, He and I were partners, and, uh, man, we we gave up. Mentioned it in front of all the guys, and not only did it go from giving up some early goals, whether it's Mike or myself, it went from all of a sudden letting in the first shot because all we could think about was don't give up an early one. Well, you can't play... The goal in National Hockey League. If you're worried about that all the time, you know, I always said that. Yeah, for me, anyways, for most goalies, I break down a game into five-minute segments because I knew I could be perfect. But if that segment, if that's broken a minute and a half in, it uh, it really impedes what you're trying to do. And uh, I can see that with the Oilers players. I mean, it, they fall behind, and it's uh, it, it looks as though they're lackadaisical, but they're not. They're trying as hard as they. They, they think they can, but their brain is just in the way, and it, uh, it makes you look kind of lazy.
2: Well, hopefully this road trip does get them going again for sure because it's starting to slip away here in the playoff race. Kelly, enjoy the road trip here. Always great to have you on the show. We'll talk to you again next week. Okay, thanks, reed Take care, bud. All right, there's Kelly Rudy. Well, addressing some of the things in his career that have plagued the Oilers, first shots going in, goals early in games, feeling tight expecting bad things to happen. Actually, Ryan Dempster talked about that too, playing for the Chicago Cubs. That vibe in Wrigley Field of expecting something to go wrong and then getting confidence and believing that something is going to go right and you're going to win. One of many things, I would say, plaguing the Oilers this season and holding them back. Hey, don't forget, some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Northern Chicken's brunch is Sunday, 11 a.m. until 2, featuring biscuits and gravy with smashed potatoes. You can visit northchickenyeg.com. You can to chime in by texting 63630, our open line number. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That
0: feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all.
2: 780-496-0063. We're back after the break.
1: subscribe to the inside sports podcast available on apple podcasts google podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts this is 630 check inside sports
2: all right good to have you tuning in tonight Inside Sports on 630 Chad. You can get more on the Eskimos on 630Ched.com. Len Rhodes leaving his post as president and CEO. He'll depart February 20th. Five players signed by the Eskimos today, so they will not become free agents tomorrow morning at 10. Mike Riley will, and uh, he will sign with the BC Lions. Some reports now that the contract, four years, $700,000 per month. Season and the Eskimos had said that they uh, were not going to be outbid, but obviously Riley wants to be closer to Seattle, where his uh, wife lives and works, and their two children spend a lot of time there. So it looks like that's it for Mike Riley. Great five years with the Eskimos. Twenty fifteen Grey Cup, really one of the greatest seasons. Well, I'd put it on a short list. I mean, this have had some great seasons. I would say one of the greatest ever for the green and gold. I mean, you have a 10-game winning streak to finish the year, including playoffs. That's pretty good. They were 6-4, and four, won their last eight regular season games, finished first in the West, beat Calgary in the West Final, beat Ottawa in the Grey Cup. Uh, six seasons, Eskimos had Riley, not five. My bad, it was six seasons Riley was with the Edmonton Eskimos. All right, you can text 630-630. Gary in Fort Saskatchewan says, I've heard Connor McDavid say twice in the last two years, maybe he said it more than that, I'd like to have an extended period of time with the same line mates. But, Gary continues, that continues not to happen. The Russians played the same five players together for years, let alone the same three forward players. If the game was called the way it was today back in the 72 Summit Series, Canada wouldn't have won a game. The Russians were 40 years ahead of their time. Connor, Leon, and whoever should be left together for the whole season. Nuge and two other line mates should be left together for the whole year. The third and fourth lines should be put together for the whole year. Yes, injuries affect that, but they should be left together barring injury. That is from Gary in Fort Saskatchewan. That's an interesting debate. Gary, I don't, I don't totally agree with you, but I understand where you're coming from. I, I, I mean, I don't think you can set the lines at the start of the year and say we're going to leave these together. Um, and usually, all, like, look, all coaches blender the lines. It's more noticeable for, the, for Oilers fans watching the Oilers. All teams do it. We've had visiting coaches come in here and do it and then talk about it on, in post-game interviews after the game. And Rob and I have been like, oh, see, they did it too. It's more noticeable for the Oilers because they're doing bad. And it's more noticeable under Hitch because he has done it really quick. And now he hasn't done it much since the bye week. He hasn't done it as much since the bye week. I mean, the first three games back, they, they pretty much stayed with the same lines the entire time. But, I, but while I don't agree with what you're saying, Gary, about keeping them together the whole year, I would like to see combinations together deeper into games. Because I think if you're moving guys around after their second shift or one turnover, it can create a little bit of that vibe of, of not being confident or being afraid to make a mistake as opposed to going out and playing and trying to make something happen. Yakishev, always enjoy his text. He says, Peter Shirely took a bad team and unbelievably made it worse. Hitchcock said he could fix the team. He didn't say he knew how, he said he could. Actually, he did say he knew how Yakishev, but anyway. A bold prediction, I would say. He went from happy Hitch to hard-ass Hitch to hallucinating Hitch. This team isn't talented enough or smart enough. McDavid is a great player, and he can be the captain, but they need an experienced, respected leader. This team has so many problems, it'll be a miracle if they can be close to competitive in the next few years. Forget the playoffs. New topic, draft lottery. Uh, Well, you're probably right. I mean, I I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. I was trying to be relatively optimistic that they could squeak in, but they've just given too many points away, especially on home ice. So... Look, they're never, I'll never say they're out, out until they're mathematically out. But as I was saying earlier, you probably need to get 37 points in your last 27 games. Around there. Because that, that would get you to 90. So can the Oilers go 17, 7, and 3 down the stretch? 18, 8, and 1? I, I highly doubt it. I mean, basically, when they had that stretch where they went 9-2-2, two, and two, they would have to do that and then do it again to get into the postseason. So, unfortunately, it's kind of bleak. But, hey, we'll see. That's why they play the games. We'll have one for you on Wednesday, 4.30 face-off show, game at 6 as they visit the Pittsburgh Penguins. So CFL Free Agency opens at 10 tomorrow. We'll have coverage of that. On Inside Sports and the latest from Oilers practice. They're gonna hit the ice at nine tomorrow before they fly to Pittsburgh. Tonight you heard from Kelly Rudy, Ryan Dempster, Brad Sparrow, and Len Rhodes. Dave Campbell's the producer of the show, and our studio producer is Kellen Kennedy. You can always get more on both the Oilers and the Esks on 630 chedcom My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for everybody who listed uh, listened uh, what am I trying to say? Who listened, texted, and called. That's what I was trying to say. Have a great night.
1: 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.